And a lot of people seem to be confusing. Eighty-five percent, I think, of people have some type of back injury. Welcome to the Westside Barbell Podcast. Today's topic is low back pain syndrome. We're joined with John Quinn and Travis. Louie, I'd like to get you um, just to start off talking about the low back pain syndrome, what it is, and uh, what you have done to rehab um, backs and how, not even just that, but to keep backs healthy and not to have back injuries. Mm-hmm. Well, instead of low back syndrome, uh, we prefer to have prehab for healthy backs. We don't have rehab. We like prehab. We like to keep our back strong. Um, basically, a strong man and woman have a strong back. Weak, weak men and women have weak lower backs, and that pretty much sums it up. And my experience starts back in a very hard way. In 1973, I had the highest total in the world for a while in the 181s, and um, no gear. Um, and um, I broke my, um, my L5 and basically dislocated my SI joint. I was on crutches for basically 10 months off and on, and finally came up with a reverse hyper exercise, and that's what got me back on the road to health. And um, I, I went back, I was 73, by 78, I was pulling over 700, 198. And that was basically a fourth or fifth best dead up in the country, and I was always top five in the total in the squat. <clears throat> 1983, I broke it again. And a doctor, a surgeon here in town wanted to take out two discs, fuse my back, and take out bone spurs. And I refused. And at that point, I had already was doing reverse hypers, so I started, I did acupuncture, acupressure, I stretched, and I rehabbed myself. Um, uh, everywhere it knows if you want to be successful in rehabilitation, you have to participate in your own rehabilitation. So that's exactly what I did. I didn't go to anybody. I did it myself. So basically, um, uh, and a lot of the problem with backs is a psoas problem. A lot of people treat low back pain over and over and over, a chiropractor or so, and, but it never gets better because the psoas is tight. Now, now John, you might want to mention something about this. <clears throat> and uh, it basically pulls on the tailbone, I suppose, right? Yeah, go for it. Okay. And, then that, and also it can cause pelvic tilt. So build strong abs. Um, you know, you, you have the front of your abs, the rectus abdominals, and the obliques are very important. Actually, obliques produce higher uh, inner abdominal pressure than your rectus abdominals. Everyone... You know, if you look on uh, your greatest athletes, what's everyone mostly focus on? Of course, it's in the body, and they look at the obliques. And uh, great athletes have great obliques. And I used to do uh, 180. I did side bends of 180. I had, I did not have pretty obliques, but I had pretty big obliques. So um, I concentrated a lot of obliques and a lot of abdominal training. Lived on good mornings. And um, so, for, so to start with, you know, when you pick up a weight, what is the first thing you do? You take a breath of air. And, and hold pressure in your stomach. So to me, the strongest muscle in the body has to be the stomach. And so how do you build the stomach and make it healthy and, and, and have good mobility in the low back? Um, I prefer, like, I like uh, leg raises, hanging and standing. Um, you know, ha uh, when you do hanging or you can add ankle weights when you're very strong. Setups, <clears throat> incline setups, weight on the chest, weight behind the head when you're strong. If you have a, a healthy psoas, uh, straight leg setups will have no effect on your back. It should have no effect. Um, so always, uh, if you do, then you need to get to someone, an ART person, and get that psoas worked on. And um, a lot of um, side bends, heavy dumbbells, kettlebells, barbell on your on your uh, shoulders, twisting. You can do it standing. You can do it setting. <clears throat> and um, standing abs is one of my favorites. I do a lot of standing abs uh, statically on a lap machine. 
you basically stand up, face away from the machine, take a, lat, a tricep rope, hold it against your chest, till your belly full of air, and bend over. And um, you're not involving the hip muscles, extensors, and so forth at all. And so it's all dominant work, and it's, uh, that's, the, that's one of my best type of abs I like to do. Another, for more advanced people, is uh, sled walking with a strap around the ankles. Uh, this has been tremendous for all of our athletes, uh, powerlifters, athletes of any kind, <clears throat> and makes very, very strong um, you know, stomach muscles and, and hip muscles, which should co work together. You know, a lot of people, see a lot of people very well-developed, but you, the muscles have to work con connectedly. They have to work uh, together. They just can't work out one muscle at a time. You know, a lot of real strong people look strong, don't necessarily are strong. And it's not because they don't have the muscles, it's because they don't have the coordination. Um, you want to, uh, Travis, I know you, you lived here. You've made a lot of progress since you came here. Can you, can you just briefly say what you do for back health? Well, what I do, I do, of course, a lot of reverse hypers, upwards to about 100 reps. With that, about with 450 pounds, typically, is what I use on a typical day. Then, uh, So you're doing about 45,000 pounds of reverse yeah. hyper right now. Yep. And you just got right around 900. Yep, okay. exactly. So doing a lot of that, like you said, a lot of oblique work is something I've been focusing on a lot more. It's been helping me stabilize my squat. So a lot of side bends, uh, straight-legged uh, sit-ups on the glute ham raise, things of that nature I've been doing. So, mm -hmm. yep. John, I'd like to, for you to speak, because we start out talking about the psoas and what a problem area it can be. It can destroy people's backs. And year after year, their backs never get, they get worse and worse, even though they're getting back treatment. I'd, I'd like to maybe have you talk about that. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, so as a therapist, uh, I mean, I'll talk about how I kind of use it, uh, the reverse hyper from uh, a therapeutics uh, standpoint. So uh, when you talk about the lumbar spine, specifically those five spinal joints, you want to make sure that they have independent segmental motion in between there. And uh, the majority of back injuries are going to occur when the lumbar spine goes into flexion. And so the first thing I do when I have somebody that has chronic low back pain, acute low back pain, is I start to work uh, lumbar uh, extension because that's the primary curve of the lumbar spine. So you always want to restore lumbar extension before you go into flexion, especially with the majority of uh, injuries being in flexion-based. So what I do is I put them on the reverse hyper because the reverse hyper puts them in a, I'll use air quotes, neutral spine. And then from there, you can start to work actual extension and start to get the spine to actually be able to segment. When I mean segment, I mean the lumbar vertebrae is being able to move independently of one another. So kind of get that coordination back into there. And then on top of it, it's a safe setting because obviously, you know, your stomach is blocked from going into flexion, which is probably where you injured your back. And you can start to restore that primary curvature in the lumbar spine, start to get the discs to actually get fluid in there because you're starting to create that pumping mechanism. And generally, this is always in an unloaded position. Then after that, it's a lot easier to go in there and actually start to assess the psoas to see what's going on with the psoas because that should start to restoring lumbar segmentation should start to decrease that tone. And then you can go in there and start to check the psoas for mechanical connective tissue restriction, which could also be inhibiting segmentation. So you use the re reverse hybrid actually first of all to gain range of motion. Yeah, I use it as I, I use it as I mean, just like anything, you know, like like you could squat for endurance or you can squat for max effort. Like I use the reverse hyper literally on a daily basis to teach people how to start to gain like neurological control over their spine. Because that's the thing is when that spine doesn't move, they don't know that it's moving. So let's say you have five, you know, you say you have four segments that don't move. 
Well, now all that motion is going to go into that fifth segment that is moving. And that's where you have the issue at. So the first thing you want to do is you want to go into a safe setting where, where you're not going to go into flexion, where, like I said before, you know, when you go into flexion, that's when that disc goes posterior and generally lateral, right? So when you're laying on there, you're prevented from going into flexion and you can safely start to have them work extension. They can work disassociation. A lot of times you'll see people just kick their legs back instead of take their tailbone and start to lift it up. Right. So you're basically constraining the system, cueing them so they can start to figure out how to use their lumbar spine, right? And then after that, then I go in and it makes your soft tissue work significantly easier. Uh, now we had an ultra runner here not long ago, you know, a fellow ran uh, three days and 70 hours straight and all. He had quite a problem with back injuries, basically what you're talking about, correct? Right, so he had no hips and he had no lumbar spine. So he had an issue at that thoracolumbar junction, which is what you see a lot of a lot of lifters have. Like you guys don't see it here a lot, but I'll see it in the community that I work on as far as like athletes, where it's like you'll see you'll see where it's like basically like the lumbar spine, they have no musculature there. Right? They don't have those thick erectors, but right when they get to that T12 area, their back is huge and then it goes into like nothing. Well, it's cuz their spine doesn't segment. So if your spine doesn't segment and you go into a that's the reason why, like if anyone, anyone that I talk to that tells me like, hey, you know, I tried the reverse hyper, but it didn't work. Well, it didn't work because it's not because the reverse hyper didn't work. It's because you brought a shitty back in there. So you better use that machine to actually acquire the back. So before you do it loaded, get the segmentation, then go in there. Yes. Now, I know you do uh, quite a bit with our dual pendulum. Can you explain why? Yeah, I like the dual pendulum because it, it just creates more disassociation. I mean, you can use one and the other. So it's like, like the dual pendulum from like an athletic perspective is kind of like the ultimate machine, right? Because you're not really ever doing, you know, it's always one limb in front of the other. But yeah, I mean, that's going to start to create. So then it's like when you get into like the arthrokinematics of the spine, if you have segmental flexion and extension, now you can start to get rotation in there. So let's say even if it's not, uh, even if it's not the dual or the, uh, the, which one? The dual pendulum. The dual pendulum. Uh, then you can start, if you're doing one leg at a time, mm -hmm. now you're getting flexion and extension and slight rotation in that spine. So you're just therapeutically, you can either do it from a, th it's just like anything else. Like when you train abs, you can train them really hard mm -hmm. or you can train them light just to get blood flow in there. But realistically, it's your spine. So you better take care of it. You only have one, right? So you better make sure that you have segmentation in there so that your disc can stay healthy so that when you go to squat, deadlift and all that other stuff, you're not putting all that load onto just one or two segments. Right, your waist has four sides. Don't forget that, folks. It's just not in the front. You have your, your obliques on the side and your lower back on the back. Um, <clears throat> I know a lot of people that use reverse hypers even all the time, they have a, basically a weak glute. And, but the, by using the, the, the dual pendulum, you could correct that because it is bilateral. And you can find a bilateral deficit by using that very, very quickly. Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest thing is like you can use the reverse hyper. Like if you're a coach or a therapist, you can use it as both a training mechanism and you can also use it as also an assessment mechanism because mm -hmm. as soon as you see them do it, you're like, oh, this person doesn't have a low back. So that's when, so like that's what a lot of people do is like you don't want to just continue to load it. Take them and like that is the perfect position, you know, because at one point we were all quadruped, right? So when you're in that position, you're going to be able to be able to learn how to use your spine significantly better. Exactly right. When I bring an athlete in here, I never just start them working out. I, I make them do inverse curls. I want to check their hamstrings. I put them on reverse hyper, check their, lo their low back, lumbar area, and spinal rectors, and bell squat for their hips and, um, and glutes. 
And um, so that's why we do these exercises. Like you said, it's a basically um, a measurement of how strong you are in certain parts of your body. You know, when people have bad, when people come in, if you use light, if you have a bad back or want to strengthen your low back, use light weights and very, very high reps. It will pump up that lumbar region and down at the very low part of your back. If you want to build strong glutes, you have to use heavy weights. Like Travis, Travis, you say you use 450 pounds, right? Yes, that's what I use. Yes, when I trained, you know, I used, uh, I, the normal weight was 480 pounds. So we're right in the same ballpark. Yeah. And um, uh, absolutely, okay. Yeah, and the reason why you want to use high <clears throat> reps to, to on top of that is because the, the connective, t the no. disc is connective tissue, so it's avascular. So it's like the reason why Lou says that is because you want to fill your all that articulating musculature up with blood, and then basically the process of diffusion can occur where you're going to start to flush nutrients out and get fresh nutrients in. Right. Especially so, if, if you tear a hamstring, it gets black or blue. Tear a pec, get black or blue. Hurt your lower back, it doesn't get black or blue. There's right. it's very, like John says, very small blood supply in that area. You have to do monstrous heavy weights. You ever wonder why migrant work, workers don't have bad backs? <laughs> because they work them every day. Yeah. Tom, you have anything to say? Um, I'd like to go back to the abdominals for a second. Yeah. Um, one thing I think you need to explain is actually how to put air in your abdominals. Uh, a lot of people take a deep breath in and their chest puffs out, but it's never through the stomach. And um, I don't think a lot of people don't realize this, but from being around you so long, you constantly breathe in and out through your stomach and I'd like for you to, if you could just educate people why you do that, where you learned that from, and why you need to fill your belly full of air, not your chest. I learned as far back as 1970 because of Tai Chi, uh, just for relaxation and mental concentration. And uh, you saw, basically, I'm not getting into Tai Chi, and I'm not an expert in that, but I, you know, I've always done it for, for my sport, not for actually for Tai Chi. But um, you start out breathing in for three seconds and out for three. Then you, then you graduate to six and six, nine and nine, and uh, many, many times I could do 18 in and 18 seconds out. And it, it's very calming. You can actually change your heart rate by doing this. And, uh, but you, when you wear a belt, a lot of people, I got a girl was visiting today from Sweden. She had a, got a bad habit of wearing the belt so tight she can't expand her stomach. We see this all the time. You, you, literally, when you put a belt on, you want to try to break the belt. Have you ever wondered why people, you know, your strongest power lifters or even strong men have enormously strong, big stomachs? I mean, what, what's the biggest thing on a tree? A trunk or its limbs? The trunk. So you have to have that midsection has to be big. And, you know, it may, might not uh, be, be um, you know, uh, um, as aesthetic to people, but, you know, but you have to have a very strong stomach and big one. I have a very big one. I mean, I haven't lifted really for se seven years. My stomach's still enormous, but it's also still strong. Uh, a big thing, too, I remember uh, reading the Book of the Five Rings, Musashi has in there when you're wearing a robe, you always uh, wear the rope tight enough so you push against your belly against it all the time because if not, the rope would fall off. So it goes back to then how important stomach training is. Yeah, it's funny in this culture, you know, like everybody wants a small stomach, suck their stomach in, and that's why they all got bad backs. 85%, I think, of people have some type of back issues. Is that correct, Joe? Yeah. About 80, 85. Probably higher than that, honestly. Yeah, we don't have any. I had a poor kid come in today on a visit from India. And he couldn't deadlift 225 pounds. He has bad back. So, I mean, I didn't know it was like he was that, you know, honestly weak. So we sent him outside with, you know, some girls I have, and I made him drag his sled. I said, you have to build a base before you even attempt to lift weights. So build a base. He did that and ab work and uh, hanging. He did, he did leg raises on our special machine and uh, regular abdominals and some reverse hypers. 
I have to build a base before I would ever even let him lift weights. And um, so I want to I want to get back to another piece too that you know the reverse hyper, like you said, you you pretty much said it all. Rehydrates. Remember, light weights, high reps will blow up the the low back. Heavy weights going to blow up the hips. Uh, uh, something else people don't do them correctly. Whenever you do reverse hypers, you want to put your toes and heels together on the strap model. And um, you squeeze as hard as you can. And it, it is exactly like squatting or deadlifting. Many, many times I thought I was going to pull an upper hamstring from doing heavy reverse hypers. It's just like squatting and deadlifting when you do it that way. You want to squeeze together as hard as possible. And you can't get up there and just swing it. It's not a, you know, even though it's a pendulum, um, you know, you, you have to you have to raise it. You try to hold it, even though you can't lift heavy weights for a split second. You got to fight it down about two thirds. Then relax, let it pull you under, and that's where it opens up the disc and allows the fluid into the back. Um, another piece, a very popular piece here. Uh, like a lot of people um, want to know why Westside produces so many strong people. To produce strong people, you have to have high volume. How can I gain volume without the wear and tear on my back? The best way is for the lower, you know, the lower back is the principle of powerlifting, squatting and deadlifting. And so it's it's hundreds of thousands of pounds of reverse hybrids. Like you said, you do 445,000, but you do that again at least twice a week, and you yeah. do hybrids two other times. Yep. So you're you're doing somewhere probably 150,000 pounds of reverse hybrids. So direct work on the lower back that much. And we get in our ATP, which is a version of a belt squat. And we do a lot of static holds. We walk in there. We do step-ups. But when you're in there, um, it actually, with the belt around your waist, it can correct a so-called pelvic tilt. It can pull the pelvic correct into correct place. So you do all this enormous work. You put a person in for two minutes. They almost die. Is this right, Tom? And yet, tomorrow they didn't know they did anything. They'll pump them up so much. It never been in their life. And then tomorrow, they're fine. Now, if you did that with good morning or so, two, three days later, they're still paralyzed. But we do all this work. You know, there's one thing you got to learn. It's like jujitsu masters say, learn to train smarter, not harder. Um, and we, we've got people that are so hard-headed, they refuse to do it, and they're hurt. They're hurt 85% of the time. And then other people are never hurt. And so, you know, it's very valuable to learn. In 1982, when I broke my lower back the second time, that's when I went to Soviet training. I realized I knew nothing about training. Anyone can do the barbell exercises, but how do you apply science to training? And that's that's what changed me, and it's changed a lot of people now at this point. Um, Tom, you got... Some? I think a, a, a big thing about that is especially when we get a lot of people who come here <coughs> after they're injured or when they're injured, yeah. and they get, a, they get a hyper, and their back pain eventually goes away, but then they call us up, and they're like, well, my, my back's starting to hurt again. What should I do? And inevitably, they've stopped doing their hypers. So you've, well, you've rehabbed yourself from the hyper, but even for you, like you stay on hyper every day every because day. it's like medication. If, if you, you have to take it to stay relatively pain-free, and I think a lot of people don't understand that, that if, if you screw yourself up, you've screwed yourself up. There's no going back. It's done. So every day is a process. Every day you have to do something for that because doctors want to give you a drug every day. So why not avoid the drug and just do rehab or just yeah. go on a hyper? But I, I, I think people really truly underestimate uh, after an injury how you have to stay on it. Otherwise, you're going to go backwards real quick. Yeah, I think that's 100% correct because it's like the minimal effective dose. Like if the doctor is going to prescribe you a chemical means, mm -hmm. well, you technically have a physical issue. So you have to have a physical dosage. So it's kind of that like minimal effective dose. Yeah, it's just you masking know, it. Exactly. Yeah. 
Well, you know, of course, I'm 70. I, my neck is destroyed and my knees are destroyed. But, Mike, I've already done 100 reps this morning with 350 pounds. And tonight I'll do more. Yeah, but, and that's 100 reps straight, right? That's No, I do two sets of thir uh, two 40s and 30s reps. 40s. I've done 60 reps in yeah. one set. Fairly strict with 350. Yeah. I like ultra-high reps. You know, it's lactic acid tolerance training. That's what you do, John. You're a bodybuilder. And when that pain starts to come, you got to get it. Right. You know, you know I, I try to explain to people about work capacity. They don't like it, but when I would squat, we used to squat with three guys basically about every minute and 15 seconds. I would have cramps down my spinal erectors not into my hips. You could shoot me in the head and I'd be more brain dead than I am now. But all I had to do is take out a bar and it, the work would go right into those cramps because that's what's doing all the work. If you don't actually train uh, at a faster pace, you're never going to get extremely strong. If you go in and do X amount of work, if you squat 500 pounds, you're going to use a certain amount of muscle fiber. If you take a complete rest, like they tell you in a lot of books, right? They take completely rest, do the same weight, you see muscle fiber. One method to gain more muscle fiber is short rest period. That's what bodybuilders do. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. So you have to do it. Is it painful? Yeah. Is it fun? For me, yes. It was fun. I like pain. I don't mind pain. You know? And plus, your training is done under an hour. That's right. Like when you, people forget, if you keep adding in them minutes, before you know it, you've got 30 minutes of workout. You're doing nothing. Mm. Only an hour, an hour and 30. And I don't know who in this day and age has that much time to fucking stay in the gym. And There's people in the gym for three hours, and they're doing nothing. You know, it just drives me crazy. We, we see it, Travis, when we see people coming, Tom, we see, I watch people come into Arnold Classic, work up to 550 squat, it took them an hour and a half. I mean, I got, got a thousand pound squatters, we're done squatting in 20 minutes, and I'm talking three or four of them. You know, it's up and boom, 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 we're out. Then it's into the deads, and, and that's, that's only 20% of our work. Then it's on to the belt squats and reverse hybrids, inverse curls, sled pulls, and so forth. You know, another extra, like I just mentioned before about a healthy back. You just can't maybe, you know, if you're at the point where you're hurt, buy, if you have a sled and pull a sled, there's no loading on the spine at all. It will build up from your calves, um, your, your, your hamstrings, your glutes, your hips, and your abs, and you get very, very strong. And um, then it prepares you to lift weights. Heavy sled dragging, I, I swear, made me stronger than barbell training. And people don't want to do it because it's hard. But I would, on a max effort day, I would go outside and pull a sled, it's, you know, and uh, so they're in there maxing out in the rack pool, and I'm pulling the sled. And I'd peek in the door to see what the hell they're doing. Then I'd pull the sled back down. I'd pull the sled back. And I mean, you know, one, one time I did not, I had, I've had severe rib injuries, and I couldn't squat for six weeks. So I did uh, glued hands, pulled the sled, reverse hypers, and always do abs. So we had guys come in from uh, the Steelers and Pitt University, and two guys, a thousand pound squatter, 920, and that time I had 920. They said, uh, Come on, you got to squat with this. I'm going like, why? How am I going to get out of this? Because they're visitors. So then I did five doubles of 485 and 375 a band. I, I did that workout like it, I never missed a step. I, like I, I never missed a workout. It was it was actually like comparably easy. And I hadn't done any squatting for five weeks. And uh, we had a makeshift deadlift contest at two South Africans. I come in, pull on sleds for about three or four weeks, pulled 775 deadlift. <laughs> it's a sled. People, you know what? Sometimes the simplest thing is the most complicated thing to understand. <laughs> but you want to, the simple divide, what's this? You know, you, you got you know, you to walk before you run. You know, start out crawling and then learn walk and then you can run. And uh, the, the basic things is, is the key to everything. No one has fundamentals anymore.
You know, even I mean, I, a whole America doesn't have fundamentals in life in general, but they don't have fundamentals in sports. You know, I hear this in jujitsu, boxing, you see it in boxing. Um, when they come here, everybody wants to be a top flight powerlifter. Uh, and you, but you got to do, you got to build a big base if you want a tall pyramid. So we work on big bases, and that's why we don't get hurt. It's because people always see the end process, and that's where they want to start. They want to, st they want to start at the end, which is the successful phase. They want, they don't want to go through the, like just build your general GPP base. Mm -hmm. It's, but and that's just society in general nowadays. A manual labor is going to be stronger than a business worker if they, you know, if you brought yeah. them in, had a weightlifting contest. A manual labor beat them every time. And then it comes back to work capacity. You got to think people underestimate the central nervous system all the time. Because once you guys are strong, you're strong. Mm -hmm. And then once you keep it, that's that 80 or that 2080 rule. We got 20% uh, of our workouts are on the compound movements, but 80 is in the accessory work. So you keep up that accessory work with that sleds, mm -hmm. you're not going to go backwards. So you build up all your weak muscle yep. groups so they balance out and you don't get hurt. Yep. You know, uh, just a few tips. Uh, when you're in a gym, don't turn the radio up, don't use smelling salts. Don't pick your favorite song. Don't do the same exercise over and over and over. That's the law of accommodation. And when you go in and try to get psyched up in the gym, now you're doing a contest max when it should be a training max. Basically, I'm emotional. I used to like to run my mouth a lot. You know, get myself over my head, so I had to take big weights. But I never got my adrenaline ever rolling, you know. Never had adrenaline rush. So we, I've seen this over the years, and it does not work. Don't get your favorite song. Where's your? If I jumped on your ass to punch you, would you turn your favorite song on before you punch me back? <laughs> I doubt it, you know. So just learn, to, learn the difference between training and competing, all right? Now, we compete in the gym, but we compete with a low, you know, adrenaline rate. And uh, we got a lot of really strong guys, and they don't burn out, yeah, you know, for the most part. <laughs> Another thing, too, in the work capacity, um, back to the lower back, if you're not putting all the emphasis in your stomach and lower back, well, then something's going to give out because they're always been, even for benching, everything you do, your, your trunk has always been used. So if that's not the most worked out uh, muscles in your body, then you're going to be injured. There's no way around it. And uh, I think that's a, a, people don't, a work capacity, people just don't understand it. Well, think about it too. It houses your central nervous system. Mm -hmm. So as soon as you start to lose joint function in there, now you're starting to lose receptor feedback. Yep. You know what I mean? So it's mm -hmm. like, like it houses your central nervous system. So you should have function in those joints. Because if not, you're, gonna, you're not going to have the uh, neural drive output. You're not mm -hmm. going to have the input from as far as uh, actual information coming into the system. So, I mean, I know it sucks and it's not... Uh, the best thing to do, well, but you should probably invest in a spine. You only have one. Yeah, you're right. You know, if you want to be, if you want to be stronger, stronger, you got to, you got to raise the volume. That's the only way to do it. And uh, all the people out there, boxing fans, you take an amateur fight, he fights three rounds. How did he ever get the four, six rounders, eight rounders, tens and twelves? Work capacity. If he just maintained three rounds all the time, um, he's never going to fight a championship fight. Mm -hmm. He has to raise work capacity. And how did he do it? Through spatial means. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a good little podcast. I'd like to thank John, Louie, Travis. This is another bite-sized podcast. We'll be back to you with the next one shortly.